everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. Do I have a conversation for you today? I am joined by Dr. Jerry Lynn Peake. It is so hard to describe Jerry. She describes herself as the accidental educator, a leader, a mother, a wife, a world citizen, dancer, fiber artist, jewelry maker, poet, and oh, that evaluation thing. So Jerry and I had the most interesting conversation. We probably could have talked for at least another hour. There were so many places I wanted to take this conversation, but we just didn't have the time. We talked very little about evaluation. We both do evaluation. Uh, we could have a whole conversation about what that means. Uh, but we really talked about uh, virtues. She's going to tell you about the Virtues Project, and she is a master facilitator at that, and maybe how virtues can help our world be different. She's going to talk about her insight facilitation approach. And uh, yeah, it's it was great. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. I am so happy to have Dr. Jerry Lynn Peake with me this uh, this afternoon. I almost said good morning. I came in at midnight, Jerry, from Florida. <laughs> so wow. um, our friend uh, Susan Wolf and I were in Florida doing a facilitation training workshop. Poor Susan got stuck in Fort Myers for one more night. She couldn't oh, fly no. back till today. And I got in, but it was midnight. So hence, I don't know if it's morning or afternoon but uh jerry and i have been having a lovely very deep conversation so hold on to your hats people because we're probably going deep here i think jerry and i are um uh unashamedly probably pretty spiritual people although we come from very different uh, uh faith uh walks uh but who knows where this is gonna go so i've already said how we came to know each other we know each other through our mutual friend susan wolf Although we sort of know of each other through the American Evaluation Association, we've been in many rooms together and have never met. But we're going to fix that come this fall in New Orleans. So welcome, Jerry. I love it. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, some of the uh, younger uh, folks that have called me to do more with sharing my journey. We'll love that I'm here. So thank you for being a, uh, a prayer answer of other people's prayers. Uh, I, well, you. I hope we're always somebody's <laughs> answer to prayer, hopefully. Yeah. All right, so yeah. I gotta start with your Twitter bio. I love this and I want you to talk about it. Uh, there's so many things I wanna ask you about here. The accidental educator, leader, mother, wife, world citizen, dancer, fiber artist, jewelry maker, poet, dot, dot, dot. Oh, that evaluation thing. So many, so many things I want to know here. I love that you start with leader first. That's curious to me. I am a mother of three. I am a wife. I think that's fabulous. You start with leader, world citizen. Love that. 
dancer. I was a terrible dancer. I took ballet one time in college, Jerry. And uh, uh, the teacher said, wow, it looks like you've been eating a few too many tacos. That's it. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, people are shady. I'm <laughs> telling you. Um, yeah, that was embarrassing. And um, I've been known to write poetry myself. So, nice. and, we, and we definitely have evaluations. So I should hush now and let you tell us who you are. All right. Well, um, you know, I, I think of myself as someone who is called to service uh, early in life. Uh, somehow, I became very interested in racial justice and equity. And I, my parents weren't pastors, or you know, they. I think I think it's really that my mother confiscated a last poet's album from some kids in her um, in her classroom, and you know, record albums. For the, for the kiddos out there, you know, how we used to have music before the internet. And, <laughs> and um, listening to The Last Poets, I think, had, uh, in retrospect, here recently, I think had a lot to do with um, formulating my identity in terms of um, a different commitment to the Black liberation struggle. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, um, you know, I, I'm creative, I'm nerdy. I like numbers. I like to think. I uh, believe that we're spirit beings having a, a material experience, and all of that, I think, comes into how I approach everything that I approach. Um, although I'm not great at a lot of things, like my, you know, I really believe that the answer to all of our ills is love—not a romantic love, but you know, formulating those attractive, like operationalize in our relationships and our reality the um, connections between all things that you know the, the very same connections that hold atoms together they hold all of us together they hold the universe together and if we get on that program instead of this program of disconnection we will be able to address all of the ills that are you know, so huge and troubling to us right now, but once we overcome that, we will be in a different um, way of understanding everything about who we are as material beings, which is just a very short blip in the journey. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I immediately want to go to my last question of the podcast, and I can't do that. Do it. So, do hold, it. No, 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 no. I'm going to hold that. That's always the last do question. It. Do it. No, do no, 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 no. Going to wait. Going to make you wait. All right. So that that's who you are. Let's talk about what you do. Let's talk yeah, about what you Thank you for do. that. And because there's a real cultural difference in, um, like, most of the time when you ask people who they are, they say what they do. Exactly. And it's not necessarily... Uh, the cultural dynamic that I was raised in and years ago I made a commitment to not be one of those people who says when I'm asked what I, who I am or even what I do that I talk about how I make money. So what I do is I try to be a unifier of people. I try to inspire and encourage people. Again, I'm not perfect at this. Like most people, I'm the worst at it with the people closest to me. <laughs> But I try to uplift and encourage people. I try to make connections and um, lean in even when it's difficult. So 
And to me, that's a service activity. It's bringing love, hope, and optimism to environments. Uh, in terms of what I do to make money, it depends on the season and the reason. But I am trained in uh, most, most recently, my training has been in public health. And for about 36 years, I've been working in applied uh, uh, data uh, practices that help people think about what they're doing, learn about what they're doing, and hopefully do it better. Um, we call that some of us evaluation, but there's a lot of people who do that kind of thing who don't call themselves evaluators. Um, and honestly, every human evaluates. So, you know, humans are evaluators. So it's a weird title to have. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I teach evaluation, like, you know, evaluation 101 kind of thing, um, I always say that we evaluate every single day. Um, but I got to tell you, I love your title and I wish, mine is so boring, President of Community Evaluation Association. So this is the artist in you, Chief Insight Facilitator. I love that. I love that. Talk about that and uh, Two Gems Consulting and what you do. I can, but you know what? I never asked the question about uh, the accidental ev uh, educator. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. <laughs> So, all right, so I'm going to do titles, how I come up with titles. So uh, the Accidental Educator is a reference directly to Baltimore Youth Initiative High School, drop a tear, wipe your eye, say a prayer for creating something amazing that you can't sustain. Um, when my children were freshmen in high school at a Walter school in Baltimore, the board uh, voted to close the high school program because it was just like, how do we manage the funds and keep the school thriving? And so the board members, I was one of them, agreed uh, to go ahead and close the high school program. But I'm like, well, now where are my kids going to go to school? I love Walworth education. That's a different whole podcast. And um, because it has to have its, its issues and challenges. Um, is that like, a way, it, again, if, can I stop? Hmm? Is that a way of teaching? What is that? So Wilder's Education was established by a gentleman named Rudolf Steiner, who was a very eclectic um, individual who had a lot of innovative ideas. And um, he was asked, this was, a, uh, I think, uh, I have to look at the years, but it, so this was early in the 20th century. He was asked to create based on uh, many of the ideas had stuff to do with like biodynamic farming, homeopathy, different uh, styles of architecture, like not having s straight square rooms, being more creative, color theory, all kinds of different mm -hmm. stuff that either he did or inspired other people to do. And because of these um, theories, and he was a spiritualist at the time, you know, when people were, you know, speaking to, you know, across the plains and all that stuff. And he was asked to put together an education program for people who were working in a cigarette factory, I believe in Stuttgart, and um, it was, or no, maybe it was in Waldorf. Anyway, Waldorf was either the name of the factory or the city where the factory was, and that's why it was called the Waldorf School. Okay. So Waldorf schools to this day are known as Waldorf schools because of the first one that was started, and ironically, it was put in a place for people who could not afford to have their children educated. Uh, and that exists today is private education in most places because of the way we've gone forth with public education. It educates the head, heart, and hand. Um, 
while it is widely Eurocentric, and that's my biggest critique about Waldorf education, it really looks at the whole being, their role in society. They talk a lot about independence, which is, I think, again, a very Eurocentric thing to do, but it's really uh, operates as collective, like children learning how to interact collectively, to how to develop their own capacity to learn and grow and teach themselves in certain ways. And it's not free education. It is definitely teacher-guided, but it's guided in a way that's very different because kids are writing their own um, main lesson books by things like stories the teachers are telling. So they're learning to write the stories that they're learning and learning to interrogate reality together. It's pretty fabulous, uh, except for, like, mighty whiteness of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm a very a huge fan. Anyway, so to close the school, I, I I organized folks to come together because I knew how people would be like, oh no, they're closing our school away. And um, people talked about what they wanted to do. What if we open the school? But in the end, the most of the parents uh, who are primarily white, they wanted the kids to, they wanted the the Waldorf School of Baltimore to reopen the high school, which was not going to happen. Um, a few people decided that they would work to start a new school, but at that point, you know, respectability politics came in. People were like, well, we can't have our own school. I mean, it won't be accredited. No school can be accredited when you first open it because you have to have a track record. It's like nonsensical. Again, we all evaluate, but not all the time. <laughs> like, that wasn't like it was nonsensical. So people went to all other places and took all of their resources. We could have really had a fabulous thing going, but we had to pull this together with spinning up bubble gum. And somewhere along the way, I missed the meeting and they said, Oh, Jerry's self employed. She can just like run the school because she works from home. So she could run the school until we, you know, make enough money to. Uh, hire someone to run the school and that never happened so I ran that school for four years and did everything from janitor to administrate uh, uh, administrative head and um, that was a big accident like I stumbled into that I actually fell into it backwards because you could have knocked me over with a piece of thread when I got back in there like yeah so you know we thought we thought you could be the principal so that's what that means and you did that for four years for four years. Yeah. yeah. So that's the while running my firm. While running my firm. So chief insight facilitator again. I like that. What title. does that mean? Yeah, I love that. I love it much better than president. It sounds so much more. I don't know. More. <laughs> <laughs> so what that means is that this no, this is relevant to evaluation. So you know, and and um as I was reflecting on your questions, and as I just said, really, I think everything that I do um, is connected to a spiritual orientation that links the principles that are relevant to human progress to the actions that we take. And lots of people believe those things are separate. They believe those things are separate, not because we always have believed them to be separate, but because the dominant um, order has separated the, the separated them, some through philosophies and ideologies that discount like a, a, you know, big white daddy in the sky who does things to people, which I don't believe in either, um, or other kinds of, you know, discounting the magic of, of um, religious belief. And um, that's been very popular, but I've come to realize that part of it is just uh, about eliminating competition. 
I could be wrong because I didn't study history and stuff, but a part of that is, in my mind, is eliminating competition. If you say we're going to separate church and state, that means the church doesn't get to do certain things, so state, you know, like, it's just eliminating competition in my mind. Um, that being said, um, uh, so, yeah, so this whole idea uh, that people, when we come together and consult, you know, when we sit in circle and bring ideas to the table, we can create knowledge that we didn't know before. Like, we, none of us knew about it, but as we consult, as we listen to one another, and as we honor one another for our wisdom, we can bring into being what we didn't know before. So I developed an approach to doing uh, evaluation that precedes what we call culturally responsive and equitable evaluation, blah, 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 that's what, that said, hey, you know what? People already know what's up. They, you know, when I'm working with people and they want to ask questions, hey, can you prove that we did so-and-so, they are in there doing that work. They see it every day. The way the brain works, it has captured the truth of what's going on. They just don't know how to recode and bring it back because of how we're educated, because of how we operate and work and things, because of the wild nonsense that is put forward about how we prove something is worthwhile and good, and because of the people who hold power and dominance over the things people are doing to improve community want to know things that may, may, may or may not be helpful to them. But I believe that if you're working in a thing and you're there every day, you have the key to knowing what you want to know. You just don't know how to get to it. So they have those insights. We are just helping them mine it and bring it out. So that's what our facilitation role comes. Whether it's a survey or a discussion group or whatever, we're just helping people get at the truth that they already know. When there, uh, there's a wonderful researcher that I met named Manalani Alui Meyer, who's an indigenous Hawaiian epistemologist, which is the study of knowing stuff. And she says, when we conduct research, we're just remembering what we already knew. She does that by spelling new, K-N-E-W, because we knew it, and then it, she puts the K in a parenthesis, so we knew it, and now we're, it's a, we're learning it anew. So we knew anew. That is a sign call for a moment, reaching in the past, move forward. So we're just, insight facilitation is, the, to me, the practice of helping people reach into their past, the recent past, the stuff they've been doing, so that they can move forward based on the knowledge they're bringing to the table. It's not dependent on external expertise, but it's helpful if I know about what they're doing so I don't stumble around blindly and I can see better what it is that they see they don't know that they've seen. So that's where I developed a process called strategic or evaluative insight facilitation because there's also a counseling method called insight facilitation. So... I just wanted it to not be confused. And like, it's like nobody knows about it. It's not like I'm marketing this to the world. I mean, it's out there for people, but I don't have time to be marketing to the world. Uh, so insight facilitation, anybody who works with me is an insight facilitator because they will be helping people mine their wisdom and serve it back to themselves with that mirror so that they can see who they are as they're doing what they're doing and see what they're doing. And we help by looking at ourselves so that we know what our biases and things are as we help them do what they're doing. And then we also take everything we know and learn and shine a light down the road to help them see where they might be going to. Because sometimes the road is bumpy. And sometimes it's clear. It's nice to know. Uh, well, you just gave me lots of goosebumps there. 
I mean, I, I mean, I talk about things like that. Um, that you know, I say things like, you know, you are the expert in your community. I'm just here to, you know, kind of, you know, I have a certain expertise, but I sure like the way you say it a lot better. Yeah, it's you know, and to me, the, that's because uh, the the spiritual principle that we're all responding to, whether we like it or not is that all people have valuable insight into their world, even if they are um, cognitively challenged. Mm -hmm. Who hasn't met a child who's cognitively challenged, who is just like their thing that they can do is love? We've all known also one who's think the only thing they can do is oppose. But yeah, well, well those that, are the hard people sometimes to work with. I mean, isn't that true? It's true, but even in that, you know, if their if their mechanism forces them to only oppose, it's like, but what are they opposing? Are they just being? Are they? Are they just? Do you think they really put the shower here to be oppositional to drive you nuts, or are, is that opposition coming up out of so how, situations uh, and circumstances right. so that causes? Uh oh, uh oh, sorry. I'm in trouble now. No, no, not in trouble at all. I'm <laughs> totally off script, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that really is was the ideal of why I wanted to start this podcast. Is how do we learn to talk to people who are so have such different perspectives because we don't know how to talk to each other anymore, or we're always yelling at each other. I mean, even on the plane last night, I mean, nobody got super ugly, but there was a conversation having to, that the flight attendant was having to have with people in back of me because somebody was in some mm -hmm. And I heard her say, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make up your mind how to resolve this, right? So that, so Jerry, yeah, you don't know. I don't yeah. know, I'm, I'm bouncing all over, but, um, I, I, I don't I don't like conflict. I freely admit that. I also know I live in white skin, so I I I can I have that ability, privilege, whatever the hell you call it. Oops, sorry, just cussed on my own podcast. Uh, to, Oops, to to get, I thought it would be me. <laughs> uh, to to get myself out of that situation that I don't want to be in. Right. And people who don't look like me don't always have that option. I don't know. You take that wherever you want to go. Well, you know, I mean, immediately I go to a spiritual principle. That and one so and so I uh, I happen to be a member of the Baha'i Faith and we we believe that all religions are one. We believe that all humans are one. We are one human family. There is no such thing as race. And so I love how we talk about white body as opposed, you know, it's a label that's been given for the purpose of driving um, more, more of a wedge in hierarchy. I agree. So that some can be dominant over others. I don't like the term like uh, white power or, or supremacy because we all have power. Every individual has power. We have the power to discern what we just did, insight facilitation. We have the power to control how we behave and to discern, read reality, and make, a ju make judgments about that. We all have that, even if it's impaired by phys our physical reality. We all have that. So, you know, this whole idea, I like, you know, somebody shared, actually just a year and a half ago, I was in a meeting and somebody said, I don't use the term white power, I use white dominance. So I was like, that's right. That's right. We all have, humans are powerful. Mm -hmm. We are full of the capacity of power, which has in and of itself, you know, uh, and, you know, out there in, in podcast land, I'm just going to go with it. This is divine. 
this is you know encoded into the way, the who and what that we are so uh some of the things that have been brought as principles to help us navigate from our little you know nations and fiefdoms and tribes and races and all of the you know and aristocracy and caste and all the things that we have done to tell people that some are better than others is to remember the principle of the oneness of humanity. And it's been proven by our DNA research. And we just now, just what, last week, finally coded out the, the full human genome, right? It was, it, we just finished that, or at least it was just published. And we are one, right? So the idea that one is above another is just something that has been put forward to ensure that one can be burdened and the other one can advance, right? So that's a principle. If we're going to act on that principle, we have to be thinking not treat everybody exactly the same, but to um, really just be, be responding to everyone as if they have value. Right. So that even when they're angry, aggressive, ugly, et cetera. So yeah, just so because forth. they just because they're acting out doesn't mean that they don't have value. Sure. I agree. I I agree. Give me some tips. How how should I how should I get more comfortable? I don't know. I don't even know the word. Obviously well, I need so to sit also, for a while. I mean, well, do you handle do you handle people like that very well? I mean, you were always, are you always Zen? Not always, no, because I'm also human. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I try to, and then sometimes, you know, I just lose my, my mind like any other person, but I try to be at least responsible with accepting um, ownership for my behavior and apologizing for any egregious actions. Also, if, there's, if it's an issue of justice, I'm willing to, you know, stand up and say things that are uncomfortable or, and be, you know, the person who's blamed for what have you. Um, I, I used to get mad and then somebody would say the same thing and people would be like, oh, okay. Like, if it's about me, then that's something to get mad about. If it's about change uh, or transformation, it's better than change, then I should be glad that there was someone there that they could hear it so we could you know, utilize it. So it takes, here's one, humility. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say, I'm also a Virtues Project Master Facilitator. I was going to ask that, you to talk to you about the Virtues Project. I don't know if you want to go there. I still want you to t tell me. They that. go together. Okay, oh, so they good. go together. So, so let's, let's start with the premise that every individual has in them the potential for all, uh, all the highest qualities that elevate humanity. Um, Kindness, love, caring, but also accountability, fidelity, integrity, like every high quality, straightforwardness, um, forthrightness, truthfulness, honesty. You might say, well, aren't those things all sort of the same? If you're straightforward and forthright, aren't you being truthful? Only if you know the truth. Otherwise, you might be straightforward about something that's completely wrong. Mm -hmm. But if you're straightforward about it, at least we know what you're thinking. If you're back here, you know, holding back and scheming and you have things in the background, we can't move forward because we don't know what the truth is. If you don't believe it, look around. 
2022, how people are interacting with one another. Do, do we have, um, so of all the virtues, do we have some we gravitate to or more gifted in? Some people would say that I do have the gift of forthrightness. <laughs> oh, but just because of the way, now, Stan, I know this is an audio podcast, just because of the way your eyes went, forthrightness without maybe uh, moderation? Uh, yeah, or maybe because I'm a woman and we get that message all the time that we're- Don't be bossy. Don't be, yeah, women are bossy. Men are assertive, women are bossy. Oh, I lost you, Jerry. Ivan. There oh, you go. You lost me? Okay. Yep, my friends, Mike, Mike, Mike Marvin and uh, Christina Lopez, who um, have done some work on um, gender uh, alignments around virtues, have wonderful work in this area they, where they look at the framework of men are supposed to be assertive, and if a woman is assertive, we call that aggressive. Also, if somebody's aggressive, they call themselves assertive, um, saying that that's what they're being when they're actually being bullying or what have you. So, I mean, there's a lot of nuance, but when you bring it to balance, you know, uh, different virtues, you, you actually can can sort of be more stable. But everybody, yeah, just like some people can sing on key and other people can sing, but it's not on key. We try to say you can't sing when you don't, when you can't sing on key. Correct. But we can all sing. We can all make some sort of modulated tonal noise. We just find some of it pretty and some of it not. Uh, so that's where that judgment comes in. Already we're judging, you know, uh, you can't sing because I, what we really want to say is I don't like to hear you sing. Mm -hmm. Right? So, uh, yeah, in the same way, some people are, uh, you know, I said I was going to bring myself some water and I did. Some people are exceedingly kind in how they are with people by n nature, and some of us are not. But, but we may be very integrous, just like we, you know, it's like this is right, this is wrong, I'm not going to cross that line. Um, some of us are very moderate, and other people, um, tend to go towards extremes, but we all need education in those things in order to improve them. We don't really have those mechanisms for, for that kind of education. Either in religious systems, we talk about what you can and cannot do, but we don't talk about how you advance because we're very committed in this polarized society to being like, you can sing and you can't. You can't sing, don't come to chorus. Mm -hmm. But you know what happens when everybody comes to chorus? Most people can then at least sing in the choir. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get to come to chorus because you've been told not to come, then you don't do that. Now think about mathematics. It's the same thing with love. If you don't know what love looks like, or if you've been told that love is about sexual intercourse or sexual intimacy, or it's about the passions that you have, if you don't know that love is the, the, um, the, uh, uh, dynamic force that holds together, that bonds and attracts one to another, then we don't, we don't know how to use love appropriately for social advancement and healing. So is one of the things you do is, do you teach the virtues? Is that what the Virtues Project is? So the Virtues Project teaches five strategies. We all have virtues in ourselves and potential. Some of us, as you say, are more advanced in that than others. The Virtues Project is an effort by it was a husband and wife 
Linda uh, Carolyn Popoff and Dan Popoff and uh, and um, Linda's brother John. Um, they um, were talking about, you know, can't we do something to help change society? You know, won't someone help the children? You know, and they were like, you know what? We can do it. We can do it because we know that there are spiritual qualities that people have to be educated. Regard thyself as a mindful of gems of inestimable value. So you, every, everyone, every one of us have these gems of inestimable value, but education alone can bring those, those gems to light. Um, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's like you're really mining. And sometimes it's like going down where there's like gems on the surface, like, you know, swimming in the Mediterranean and you can just see turquoise when I was, a teenager, I was like, wow, that's turquoise. Just lay in there. Just put your hand down, pick it up. Sometimes you got to blast the mountain to see what the gem is inside of yourself. I don't know that I'm for the blasting of mountains. But anyway. <laughs> that, and, and then that brought me back to qu questions. We knew this was going to be freewheeling. So your the name of your company is Two Gems Consulting. Where does that come from? I have twin daughters. There you go. <laughs> Finally, an easy question. But let me go back to the five strategies of virtues project. Yeah. So there's speaking the language of virtue. When you, and we have this, I mean, you, when people hear certain words, it resonates with them. If I say, hey, good job, that's nice. If I say, I appreciate how diligent you are in putting this report together. I could have said good job. But if you know you're diligent in putting reports together, you're like, oh, wow. I focus as I work to put together a report that someone found meaningful. If I say good job, that's just a one-off, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is um, recognizing teachable moments. We can either say, that was stupid of you, or we can say, you know, I would appreciate it if you would, um, I would appreciate you focusing on the purpose of this work. Because if you don't focus on the purpose of the work and you just do any other thing, oftentimes it's going to look stupid, what we call stupid. But because it's not going to be in alignment with purpose. But if you are diligent, I used that already, if you're if or persevering or purposeful or um, uh, integrous or fidelity with uh, what you're supposed to be doing, careful, helpful, considerate, all of those. Oh, yeah, and Dr. Dan, he likes to be called. Well, they call him Dr. Dan. I don't like to doctor anybody because that's another hierarchy. So, mm -hmm. But Dan talks about virtues flying flocks. When you work on your integrity, you're going to have to bring some fidelity with it. You're going to have to bring some accountability with it. If you're bringing accountability with it, if you don't bring some love with it, then you're going to be bashing people over your head like some middle manager because they didn't do what they're supposed to do. And you don't care whether or not your kid got sick or a cat was screaming or you know, whatever's going on. So we, so teach, recognizing teachable moments looks for ways to, to call people to a virtue that was needed. So uh, go back to that report. Maybe it wasn't a good report. How many people have in their job? I'm not going to pick on children. A lot of virtues projects focus on children, but I work primarily with adults. How many people have been bullied at their job around somebody saying, you know, this was the worst email I've ever seen written. I can't believe there were three typos in it. This is the worst report I've ever seen. This, I can't believe. And you think about that particular person and when have they ever said to you, I really love the way you put together so-and-so. And if they did say that, they don't tell you the, give you the, the, the reason why. 
why did they like it? So when you can say to people, speaking the language of virtues, I found your report insightful and helpful in, in showing us uh, a set of steps that we can use to move forward. Maybe it didn't say that, you know. I did not find your report as useful as it could have been because it didn't fulfill the purpose that we had requested to give us a set of steps, and I wasn't sure how to apply it, as opposed to this is worthless because I'm not sure what to do right now. Mm-hmm. We're much more used to responding to people that way. What happens when somebody responds to you, this is worthless, and I'm not sure what to do with it right now? What shut happens down. in your yeah, brain? Yeah, you shut down. There's, yes. And what, so shaming and blaming put us in defense mode. Mm-hmm. Now, look at the society we have. People are criticized all the time. The who that they are, the way that they look, the nap of their hair, their height, their weight, their um, uh, how, whether or not they're beautiful. Yes. And so we're all walking around in a state of hypersensitivity. And then we put them hard shells, like the candy I keep looking at that I don't want to eat, but I'm not going to. We put hard shells around ourselves. So we can't get to the truth of who we are. We're always sitting to fight. We're always ready for the fight. Imagine as a black woman, I always have a chip on my shoulder. You know, some of it, it's like the, you know, the joke about the Hulk where people say, you know, I, I was in a series of meetings where I was giving talks and several different white, well, meetings and just hanging out with a friend or something and white folks telling me, you should be angry. I think even Susan that week may have said, you know, black people, you know, like, I don't know why you're not more angry. And it's right, but we're like the hog. We're always angry. How could you not be? But we also have a mechanism. We had to develop mechanisms for finding joy in the worst of circumstances. Mm -hmm. They may be why we put up with so much nonsense. (laughs) You know, and I'm I'm thinking about, you know, but I don't want to get all the way into that because then people say, oh, don't put in. But that's just two. That's just two of the three strategies. Let me go real quickly through those. Setting clear boundaries with conditions and consequences. That is huge. Huge for everything you're doing. Um, uh, 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 Honoring the spirit. You know, if somebody strives to do something and they fail at it, can we honor the spirit before we beat them up and tell them what a piece of trash they are about it? No, apparently we can't. And the last one is the art of spiritual companioning, which often we take the spiritual off and just talk about the art of companioning. But it's a way of, it's, applying a way of listening that a lot of counselors use where you're carrying on this conversation with people, but you're really not talking. They're talking. They're unpacking their reality. It's not used as a therapy because we're not therapists. I mean, some Virtues Project people are, but I'm not because I'm not trained as a therapist. But in that process, you encourage people to unpack their experiences. You do some mirroring, you do some what and, uh, what and how questioning, you try to get to the heart of the matter, and when they do get to the heart of the matter, most of the time people can see their own need. So it's without fixing, without judging, without telling, just to allow people to uncover their own reality. And, um, you know, sometimes people like, you know, how did you get into that school? Why they want to know what you did, so you can tell them. It's not like you never tell anybody anything. But it goes back to that original thing that I was saying about insight facilitation, which I came up with before I learned about the Virtues Project, mm-hmm. that um, we all know 
we all have have we all have the capacity to know, but our knowing is really predicated on collective and collaborative action. If we are behaving in ways that elevate the individual and actually put down others in order to see ourselves as advancing, even when it's not true, like the you know lie of the self-made man in America. You know, I built a factory and we made widgets and we delivered them to so and so, and I did it on my own. I was like, really? Like the road you drove the truck down to put them in was already there. It just rolled out as you were rolling down the road. Nobody built it. Oh, and about that truck. Nobody built that truck so you could carry your supplies. Oh, and about the supplies. Nobody helped you. You made every single one of those widgets. Well, about those widgets. Nobody smelted the dirt steel you needed to make the dirt widget. Well, about the smelting of the steel. Nobody made the machine you bought that you used to. But the whole lie of independence is part of the dominant culture, uh, colonial lie, that you don't need nothing or nobody when we actually need one another. And I say that as a dedicated introvert who would probably like to be a hermit on the hill and have nothing to do with anyone. But to believe that we can't, we don't need one another, that's a lie. Uh, in the Virtues Project, we, we would say that, you know, what would allow you to uh, investigate the truth of our interdependence? Because if I say it's a lie, now I'm saying it. See, I just, there's so much to learn. <laughs> every, every day, every night when I go to bed, I think, oh, uh, so uh, our, our, our friend Susan and I were having this conversation yesterday about, we were talking about judgment, right? And how hard that is, that even when you try not to, you, you know, we all have those moments. We all fall down. Um, I don't know if the concept of sin is part of the Baha'i faith. I, I don't know a whole lot about it other than, you know, what I've read or, or what I've heard um, from you or Susan. Uh, so I don't know if that's a concept of yours, but I know I go to bed thinking, wow, I really, I really failed at this, this, and this. I need to do better at, you know, having more patience and not being judgment, not judging and not gossiping and not, not all those things. Because I want to be the other things. Yeah, and that's one of those principles. I mean, yeah, we it's a yes and no thing. If you talk about original sin, we don't believe in that. If you talk about screwing up and having to do better, we don't have to believe in something we know to be true because we're all screwing up now. <laughs> better we know it. You know. So practically speaking, is the Virtues Project something that you teach like in a course or a workshop or how, is that part of your business model? Well, I do sometimes, I, not as much as people want me to. I'm looking at another friend of ours, probably Mindalyn Anderson. It's like, when will you pay my staff? She has new staff. Um, uh, Mindalyn's a virtue facilitator. So is our friend Rita we were talking about earlier. But the um, uh, Virtues Project is something that you can pick up a book and say, wow, this makes sense to me, and just start doing. Because it's okay. something we all have inside of ourselves. Then if you want to really work on those things, there's people who are, um, who've been practicing this, who can do training. And um, like if you've read a book about the virtues and you want to integrate that into stuff that you're doing, you can. If you want to become someone who's certified and takes a, a, a course that certifies them in, in um, understanding the five strategies, virtues facilitators train those courses. And that course will allow you to then become a facilitator. Virtues master facilitators train those courses and so it's like it's not close to anyone how can you close off something that is our birthright as humans 
that uh, only I can teach virtues. Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh, I was, get... I, yeah, that yeah. wasn't saying that only you can teach it. I was saying right. you, that part of your... Yeah, no, I, and I, what I, my meaning was that how would one say, I can't teach you, I'm the only one can teach virtues, I meaning anybody. But we can all say, hey, these five strategies that were innovated in this particular process that's called the Virtues Project, um, we can teach you about how to utilize those to help enhance the, your um, acquisition of virtues because, in fact, our society works to do both things. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to say that we don't teach virtues. We do. But we also teach, also teach to ignore virtues. Yeah. Are there some resources that you could uh, send me that maybe I could put in the show, show notes for those folks who are curious sure, about this? Sure, sure. Awesome. Yeah, the, the Virtues Project website, and I'd be more than happy to, which you, you can find a lot, of a lot of free information there and access to the shop that has some books and Virtues cards, which are delicious, and all those good things. I'll send I love that on. word. I'm a big chef, so I love that word, del uh, delicious. All delicious. right, so speaking of uh, digging around in your website, this uh -oh. prop. This this uh this quote that you have on your website. Once you ask questions, you cannot avoid the answers. It's a proverb from Cameroon. So, what questions are we afraid to ask and hear the answer? And the we, I guess, I mean the collective we there. I think the biggest question that we refuse to ask, that we refuse to ask in the dominant global capitalistic culture and I, I use capitalistic not as a you know like as far as I, as far as I, I am concerned and have I been educated all systems of governance are, have equal um, have equally helped us get into a bad place but the demand for goods and things this global culture doesn't ask the question what didn't work and that impacts everything. How many scientists get to publish negative results? Oh, you don't, not if you're an academic. You write your own book, you can. How many people want to listen to someone challenging a status quo? Uh, nobody, not nobody. And when we do, you know, we talk about paradigm shifts. Why, how are you going to talk about a paradigm shift when that's something that happens? You don't see it coming, and when it comes, everything's changed. If you brought it in the room as a paradigm shift and then people ate a donut and kept talking afterwards, that wasn't the one. <laughs> so we don't, we don't ask about failures. We don't, uh, we, we get to a point of expertism. Uh, I'm using expertism instead of expertise. Because uh, people have expertise in being human. However you are as a human. But as an expertism, like I am the one who gets to say you know and do certain things, we don't ask beyond what we think to be a norm, what we think to be the way of doing. Because we know it. If you know it, why do you need to know more? Right? If I know this is how it works, but what if it doesn't work that way? Quantum physics. It's, it, quantum reality is showing us that there are many things that don't work the way we thought they worked. And then, like, all right, like a couple of months ago, I read an article where they found a muscle in between the jaw muscles that actually is the thing that makes the jaw slide down and forward, but it's very small. It's in between two muscles, and people had never dissected it so they could see the thing. All these years we've been dissecting, talking about jaw, talking about jaw, jaw work. There's another muscle in there we didn't see. Mm hmm what else are we not seeing? That's a question we could ask. Mm -hmm. What else are we not seeing? Um, 
if we look to spiritual principles, again, I remember when I was I was baptized late, so it's like not long before I can became a Baha'i uh, when I was fifteen, and then I became a Baha'i at seventeen. But um, I was given a Bible by my godmother that had it was it was like the Atomic Bible, and then there it talked about how the Bible has a quotation that says that you, everything is made up of particles that are smaller than the eye can see. And, you know, that was witchcraft in the first mm -hmm. century. <laughs> that was crazy thought, even later than that. Now, we all know everything. Not only is it made up of particles smaller than the eye can see, get used to them finding smaller and smarter part smaller particles because yeah, they keep doing it. It's so funny because that was one of the questions that I had is um, for the people like uh, you and me who work in communities, how can we help? communities ask their own questions and that seems like a very deep question that we should ask of our community members what are we not seeing who are we not seeing well the other thing we should be asking and uh, and i think of um, um shout out to shauna murray brown at shauna murray brown.com who was actually uh although i'm not an academic i'm honored to serve on her doctoral committee uh which is a lot of just like cheerleading her she um did an independent study uh, I was I was so thankful that I was able to take the time to go when she presented her findings. Uh, and um, she, in this um, presentation, which is called Uprooting Epistemicide, you can buy it on her website, but <laughs> Uprooting <laughs> Epistemicide, and um, which epistemicide uh, means as it sounds, like we talked about epistemology earlier, is the, the study of knowing. Epistemicide is the killing of ways of knowing. So the dominant culture kills ways of knowing by saying these people are worthless or they're backwards or they're whatever it is. Everything that they knew is now trash. Mm -hmm. We're bringing the knowledge. This is the knowledge that's valuable. Well, you know, we can't figure out paths forward because we found so much knowledge away. We have wisdom, elder wisdom, ancient wisdom, recent wisdom that people are co could come up with, but if they've been throwing it away and they've been supplanting it with something they're told to know, as opposed to what they have observed to work and not work. Oh yeah, throw away everything that didn't work. Um, you know, so those are questions we're not asking. Anyway, she came up with six um, liberatory uh, research questions, which starts out as, does this research answer a question posited by the community? that she's seeking to support. She's a social work school, so you know, at least they're still talking about helping people. A lot of people don't even bother <laughs> to say they're trying to help somebody. So, you know, we could ask questions that tie to the advancement of groups of people within groups of people, or the betterment of society. You know, we could ask questions like, in what way does this effort help ameliorate the harm and, and discord amongst people? We spend a lot of time, uh, like with your question, how do we how do we address that thing? Well, we could say, well, what heals rift between people? Mm -hmm. Love does. So, case in point, I have a friend who um, actually Susan knows her, um, and she moderates the next door um, conversation. And there was somebody who kept disrupting that kept getting banned you know she and so she began to to just get curious and we had consulted about um what could she do and i said well one of the things is you know the elimination of all forms of conflict 
uh, and you can hear people do TED Talks on the culture of contest and all these kind of things. But it's like, if you are committed to not be in conflict, that doesn't mean that you're committed to put up with anything. You know, that's another thing we do in our society. We hear something and then we hear it in the most negative of ways. And then we fight against it. You know, like defund the police. That gets people all upset. Defunding the police doesn't mean let's have chaos and nobody to help uh, order society. What, and somebody, uh, I think it was Susan said, well, you know, if people had said it in terms of let's allocate the funds so that these things go to people who are good with this thing and these things go to people who are good with this thing, people would listen to it. That's true. But see, you then piss people off. You expect them to be ever so kind about how they say it when they've been preyed upon, murdered, hunted. Now nah, people get angry. So one of the things, one of the principles, like this was a Baha'i principle, that white folks should be ever so patient with the people that they have marginalized and burdened, even if you yourself didn't raise your hand to ever do it. Somebody has to be peaceful while somebody's going off. The person who's burdened and traumatized gets to go off. And when you show love, you begin to ameliorate difference. When you ameliorate difference, you can build relationship. When you have relationship, you'll put up with all kinds of things you wouldn't put up with before. We begin to see one another. And people have been doing this, in my experience, since they had the, the pro-abortion, they call, which are people who just want women to have reproductive health rights and health, and the anti-abortion, which are people who both have either a religious or a, a philosophical or ideological uh, belief that you shouldn't stop uh, pregnancies when they start, but it also has to do with, on both sides. I'm going to get in trouble for that, even though reproductive health is one of my areas, um, where people are fulminating uh, certain levels of misinformation or, or pr at least putting forward only certain kinds of information because of their commitment to get what they want. So the fight continues, but there have been many times where people have come together across the divide to, to talk about the things they do agree with, and they become friends. And when we're friends, we can expand our understanding, but our current society wishes that if I believe a thing, all you all have to believe a thing. If the truth is a big circle, and I have a small circle of belief, and you're in a different circle of belief, I demand in the society that you either join with me or we're in opposition. Like if you're not in my circle, you're wrong. We're both maybe believing the truth. And if we expand between one another, all that ground between us becomes also things we know to be true. And we find out how those two opposing ideas can actually sit in resonance with one another. That is the work of building a world of peace. Now people can't see it, but I'm like, yes. Amen. 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 I say that, yes. And that kind of leads me to our last question, and I think that would have been a beautiful answer, but I'll let you answer in however the spirit moves you. When you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Oh. The son of Baha'u'llah said, the oneness of humanity is confirmed. He said, what is confirmed is the oneness of humanity. So I see that oneness, and I don't see it, like when I became a Baha'i at 17, and people talked about the oneness of humanity, some people were like, oh, we're going to all be a certain kind of light brown with a certain kind of curly hair, you know, we'll just have been ameliorated into a monotype. No. Humanity is heterogeneous. We always have been, and we always will be. Our DNA doesn't replicate 
perfectly, not because it's wrong or bad and makes mistakes that we have to wash over and pretend we don't see, but because it always is ready to diversify. We are diverse because of the, the, the reality of our creation, of our evolution, of our making all the time. There's always openness to that. And as we understand that our discord between one another is something that we have believed because of superficial features like skin tone and or we've utilized based on false science put into place to burden people with living a life of servitude to others and not servitude like the highest calling of all of humanity is to serve others but really you know being being abused as chattel for, for a few people to gain and using that same mechanism to try to make people feel good about their lower lot, at least you're not black, you know, um, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with our oneness and reality. So we are heading in that direction. But what was centuries in the making is centuries in the unmaking. So if we can't focus on the growth of an oak tree, if we want that oak tree to be an oak tomorrow, it's, it's beyond our reckoning. Yet people have grown trees and plants that cultivated ecosystems that they didn't necessarily benefit from, um, planted trees they wouldn't necessarily eat the fruit from. I try not to use the cathedral building mechanism, not because it's not wonderful, but because I try to use um, things that are not um, based on your norms, but cathedral building. People work centuries yes. to build something they would never worship in. And that is the work of oneness and peace is to work towards being the person who fertilizes our reality so that that um, oneness and world peace can grow. Yeah, why do we, but yeah, that's it. Yep, well, you know what? I I <laughs> don't know if you can resonate with this, but I figured out a long time ago that I was called to be a seed planter. I was not called. Yeah. I was not called to harvest. And I think what you're saying is none of us living right now are called to harvest, but we are called to love one another and we are called mm-hmm. to plant that seed so mm-hmm. jerry i have a feeling we could talk all day um we could but we but but our time I is prob- over i probably should stop the recording and let you have the rest of your day but how can now people, my watch has ended how, how, <laughs> how, how can people get in touch with you you're welcome to contact me at jerry at twogemsconsulting.com um which is my email uh, I am woefully terrible. I do have an in- Instagram. I have a Twitter. It's just Jim Jerry. I have, um, I think my Instagram is at Two Gems Consulting. Uh, I do have a Facebook page for the theme, and I, I, you know, but if you just Google Jerry Peak or Jerry Lynn Peak, you'll see me out there. And then, you know, eventually, if you really want to hear from me and you don't hear from me right away, I suggest you nag me. Till you get my attention and then uh, I'll send you a link and you can uh, make a meeting with me. Maybe not the next day, please. Uh, <laughs> and we can have a conversation. And I'm also trying to put together some conversation spaces uh, uh, so that we can talk about these things together as folks, just have these conversations. And um, recently I decided that I wanted to focus on black unity so that, you know, if, if we, the, the more recent descendants of our, all our ancestors from that Rift Valley um, can't be peaceful together, 
How are we going to model that for a world that is so violent and harmful? The elders have to lead some kind of way. So, yeah. And um, there, there's a Black Love Day I handy candy and people put together. It's um very much um looking to connect with those things. So that's it. Well, Jerry, I'm out there. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for saying yes. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. And I am looking forward to seeing you at AEA this fall. Yeah, I think we should, I'm going to try to not overdo it so that I can actually hang out with people for once. It's been a long time. Yeah, it, um, has, it has been a long time. And I think we're all so ready to come together and be together. So I'm really looking mm -hmm. forward to it. And thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you were inspired by what you heard. I have a big announcement for you. I have a new free mini course that is available that I have designed for community coalition and nonprofit leaders. I found that something that gets community leaders over their fear of evaluation or maybe it helps them make it more of a priority anyway, is to think about how they can use their data to reach their audience. So in this free mini course, I talk about infographics and success stories, and uh, even throw in an activity that you can do with your community group. So uh, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can go on it over and grab that mini course. And before I let you go, just want to remind you that it's so helpful if you would like and share and maybe even take that extra second to write a review about the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.